Everybody, you done put two of America's most wanted in the same motherfucking place at the same motherfucking time. Shit. What's up, world? Welcome to episode six, Midnight Genius Hour. Got a six pack of uncut jams for y'all out there. Hell yeah, episode six already. Damn. Episode number six, your man Brian in the house. Hey, your boy Nick. How y'all doing? So fitting. I remember riding with my cousin back in the day, Northeast. Shout out El Paso, El Chuco. And riding around right when this album came out, 10 years old, jamming out to this. 10 years old? A little chiquillo? The first time I heard Pac. Shit. Still sounds like a poet. Just... Hey, I, I, I read it. A- a story well i read the headline of a story that someone said pox living out in new mexico dog <laughs> he's not dead he's living in a trailer park in roswell or some shit i don't know about that yeah, I don't like it, but... it's kind of fitting because we chose that song spur of the moment start off our episode and that's what we're going to be talking about featuring here some of our influences our loves calling it a six pack episode six we're gonna feature six albums six novels that y'all can take with you three from me three from brian that makes a six pack 
And of course, we're here drinking a six pack of Brooklyn Lager. Ooh, child. Anybody from Brooklyn Lager wants to hit us up, talk to us. But first, I think we wanted to get into some political talk. Yeah, man. I mean, if you are alive and aware and have eyes and ears and can hear, Trump is about to go and get reelected unless somebody from the Democratic fucking party can unseat this fucking devil. (laughs) So if you want to be one of those people that like, oh, I just really don't follow politics. Well, Guess what? The fucking world depends on you following That's a politics. good point because one of the biggest things that Bernie said is in order for anyone to have a chance against Donald Trump, we have to have the biggest voter turnout. Mobilize the vote. There has to be the most amount of people to vote this time for us to even have a chance. I'm going to go get some fucking veteranos at the community center and be like yo get in the truck if you can go vote if you have the right to vote and you can vote why would anyone not vote i don't understand early voting already going on here in texas amen tuber tuesday that's coming up really soon Mm -hmm. march 13th i think but bernie what the fuck are we talking about chuco town bernie in this city bernie will be here tomorrow Hey, when you're with the Midnight Geniuses, you best believe it's the Midnight Hour. Amen. Amen. We got two minutes left in the Midnight Hour. Still the 22nd of February. Bernie's going to be here. I'm going to wait till the Midnight Hour. (laughs) Bernie's going to be here tomorrow. I don't know if we'll be able to get out there. But we got to talk about that debate a little bit. There were six people up on that stage. A six-pack of white people trying to save the world again. <laughs> yeah, that, I read an article that that's what it's come down to, of the diversity that it started with in the Democratic Party. Listen, no offense to Kamala Harris and Cory Booker, and who else was um, of color in the field? But that's the diversity we're going for in the 2020 Democratic Ju- Party. Julian Castro. Julian Castro. Oh, I forgot the Mexican. E- fucked up. That's all I can think of too. No, uh, come on. That's not diversity. Come on. Alexandria didn't wanna. No. Didn't wanna go for it. I, is it because she's too young? Too early in her political career, I guess. No, literally. Like, when can you run for president? There's an age limit. <laughs> you have. I'm serious. You have to be like yeah, 40 no, you're years right. old. You're right. You're right. Right. There is a limit. We'll look it up. Nost Department's not on that right now. Yeah. Well, well I'll find out real quick. But Nost uh, listen, we'll get on it. Um, this is an open invite to our distinguished congresswoman from the Bronx, Alessandria Ocaso Cortez. You are very welcome to <laughs> come out on the Midnight Genius. Anytime you want to listen to us, talk to us, let us know what's going on, tell us that we suck, (sighs) we're down for it. That debate was intense, a lot of testy allegations. Personally, I wasn't a big fan of Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren beforehand. I don't know if I'm totally on her bandwagon yet, but she came out firing. And she came out with a lot of direct attacks. She started off going off on Bloomberg. 
for his similar hate mongering, just like our current president. Man, fuck a fr- stop and frisk policy. They went hard on him on stop and frisk. Like, and he sounded like he hadn't been debating for a very long time. He did not apologize well enough, and they went hard on him for that hey, policy. Your campaign has to have eloquent people can just, you know, figure out these responses that you can get by with. And apparently he didn't have the proper means to get by because he did look stupid from, you know, the highlights I saw. And a few of them wanted to point out that they didn't like being on stage with him. Hopefully he drops out soon. Elizabeth Warren called him out for his NDAs, right? His non-disclosure agreements at his companies. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. the fuck? Well, you just Fox and, News, him and, uh, him and Biden also went hard on him. I think Bernie was trying to solidify himself a little bit because he's feeling that he's in the lead. But a lot of it was Klobuchar and Buttigieg going off on each other. Maybe wrongly, Buttigieg calling her out for not knowing the Mexican president's name. I mean, she was pretty upset about that. Elizabeth Warren came to her defense. It's petty. It's fucking petty. That's exactly. Listen, what she said. you should be worldly enough to know who the country south of you's head, you know, head of state is for sure. But for Mayor Pete Buttigieg, fucking to call her out on that is just petty. And Buttigieg gained a lot of money from millionaires, dude. Changing up his stance, it's kind of weird. My take on Buttigieg is he is the um, centrist, um, rich class of the Democratic Party, That's which why, is essentially Republicans. That's why him and Klobuchar are kind of going off on each other, because they both have the same kind of voter demographic. Yeah, and his, his people centrist. were probably like, you got to fucking knock her out. To keep and win her delegates or win her people or win her voters. Fucking. Testy affair. Don't know when the next one is. We'll definitely cover that here. I think it's about that time. Get into our book talk. Oh, welcome to the Midnight Genius Hour Book Club. Here we cover the finest topics in fine literature. (laughs) Gotta be honest with y'all, six is one of your homeboys' favorite, if not the most favorite number, happens to be episode six. Let's get into six novels, like Nick said, three by each of us. Like we always want to strive to do here is hopefully y'all find something new, open your minds and your ears, and you never know. So I'm going to let you kick it off. What is um one of your three novels? Mm-hmm. To include in our six pack, I remember reading *The Stranger* by Albert Camus. I'm gonna go ahead and read a quote here by Camus himself. He says, "I summarized *The Stranger* a long time ago, with the remark I admit was highly paradoxical. In our society, any man who does not weep at his mother's funeral runs the risk." Of being sentenced to death. I only meant that the hero of my book is condemned 
because he does not play the game. This one man keeps to himself, finds out that his mom has passed away, gets called to her funeral. He's her only close relative, and he visits a lot of the people that were close to her. You notice that he's not as emotional that he's feeling unlike everyone else. Even the priest is more empathetic and more saddened by the mom's passing. I remember reading it and empathizing with that that sort of feeling of trying to feel like, where do you belong? It's just an outsider kind of point of view. So the first part, the first 40 pages or so are just about the mom's funeral goes back home to Paris and meets up with the girl that he likes. And he talks about this in a very normal, pleasant way. They meet up and have good times together. They decide to go out to the beach. And while they're at the beach, some weird stranger comes up to them while they're hanging out with a couple of friends and they get in a tussle. Next thing you know, they're both reaching for their gun And this same guy, the stranger, reaches for his gun quicker and kills the guy. Wow. Suddenly, everyone's freaking out because he just committed murder. But he's just kind of apathetic to to it all. State of, I had to do what I had to do. But I don't really feel any remorse for it. Take him in, put him in jail. Most of the second part is just his oncoming trial. They hire a lawyer. And the lawyer is kind of lost trying to communicate with him because of the fact that he's just not that remorseful or mournful about anything. I did find this really good quote kind of summarize it even better than what anyone could. I could tell I made him feel uncomfortable. He didn't understand me and he was sort of holding it against me. I felt the urge to reassure him. That I was like everybody else. Just like everybody else. But really there wasn't much point. And I gave up the idea out of laziness. That just kind of puts it in a perspective. This one man who sometimes has it made for him. He can go for it but just doesn't really want to. More pensive than anything else. Yeah, I mean I think it makes you uh, look inside yourself. You know, within... Just because this stranger doesn't act the way most normal people do, it doesn't mean that he's that crazy. For sure, that's a good choice, man. So that's your first pick. I'll jump into mine. First pick? Yeah, let's see what you got. So, I mean, these books or these excerpts, whatever you want to call them, um, they stand out to me because they... They opened my eyes about certain things. They made me feel a, a certain way about certain things. And it's it's stayed with me my whole life. So anything that, you know, can make such an impact on you that shapes you as a person, I think is definitely um, something you have to put in a six-pack that you're um, offering to people. But the first one, Dalton Trumbo's Johnny got his gun. Um, a, a, a really intense, you know, tale of your all-American kid 
guy named Joe. I mean, geez, what more of a classic American name than Joe can you have? Goes to war, I believe it's World War II. Steps in a landmine. Has everything blown to pieces. Arms, legs. He's blind, he's deaf, he's dumb. I mean, when he first comes out of a coma, I mean, he doesn't even know if he's dead or if he's alive. So, the way Dalton Trumbo separates the book, I mean, he basically kind of goes into this kind of pseudo-religious idea of there's two books in the novel. The Book of the Living, the Book of the Dead. So you get to hear a little bit about this Joe's life and, you know, just these vivid memories of him growing up as an all-American kid, you know, going to the watering hole and skinny dipping with girls and getting drunk and... I remember this one part where he talks about, like, you know, running as a 10, 12-year-old kid to the local burger joint, and his dad would give him, you know, six bucks to get the family burgers and how he would run back. I mean, just everything you think warm and fuzzy about this American dream we've been, um, you know, fed that we have to strive for. But obviously the second part is is him contemplating his situation and figuring to himself why the fuck he's there. And why is he there? Because of war. Because of warmongers. Because of people that, you know, so hate in the world. He said he steps on the landmine? Yeah, he steps on the landmine. Um, Actually, um, a lot of people actually might know this fact or not, but uh, Metallica had a, a video with excerpts from uh, a, a Johnny uh, Gatton movie. Oh, damn. Yeah, a video, a music video. I mean, obviously, Homeboy is coming out of his, a com- his coma, and he's starting to realize what his state is, and he's coming in out of consciousness. It's, it's really depressing and scary, especially when you think you have no arms, legs, no limbs. You can't hear, you can't see, you can't talk. I mean, what senses do you have? And so as he comes in out of, you know, these comas and starts being more alert of his situation, you know, he starts opining on his state and why he's there and what bullshit put him there. And obviously it's war. And obviously he was the closest person to die and not actually die. So he he has glimpses of, you know, death, quite literally. And uh, so this is my excerpt from the book. Obviously, when he's getting really worked up and he's really, you know, really freaking out about the fact of why are we at war killing each other when we're all just sons and husbands and brothers and this is this is horrendous. And so here is the quote. They died crying in their minds like little babies. They forgot the thing they were fighting for, for the things they were dying for. They thought about things a man can understand. They died yearning for the face of a friend. They died whimpering for a voice of a mother, a father, a wife, a child. They died with their hearts sick for one more look at the place they were born. Please, God, if that doesn't shake you. That's heavy. So, what I took from that book is obviously I'm 100 100% anti-war, and um, 
There's no reason why children are dying, why people are dying for stupid ideas that angry men put forth. Okay, mine shit was a little too heavy. What you got next? Sometimes you need a really good, heavy, deep book. I'm going to check that out. What I like about Breakfast of Champions is just part of his signature style. He plays around with the sentence structure. It has pictures in it. He's witty, throws in that dark humor. It's told from different perspectives. He writes in and says, I'm the writer. I'm controlling the story. I'm controlling the narrative. This is what's going to happen. Kurt Vonnegut, Breakfast of Champions. And it was really interesting to me because as I read this book, first time, I want to say after high school. I didn't even find out about Kurt Vonnegut. No, you know what? I did read Cat's Cradle in high school. That got me into Vonnegut. Well, I got the high school fucking set list right now, so. I'm going to go ahead and pick out my quote here. This is from Kurt Vonnegut's uh, viewpoint of himself in the book. Once I understood what was making America such a dangerous, unhappy nation of people who had nothing to do with real life. I resolved to shun storytelling. I would write about life. Every person would be exactly as important as any other. All facts would also be given equal weightiness. Nothing would be left out. Let others bring order to chaos. I would bring chaos to order instead, which I think I have done. If all writers would do that, then perhaps citizens not in literary trades will understand that there is no order in the world around us, that we must adapt ourselves to the requirements of chaos instead. It is hard to adapt to chaos, but it can be done. I am living proof. It can be done. It feels like we could be using that quote to describe our ordinary lives. Again, very deep topics about like how it relates to your own life, you know, finding order in chaos. I mean, mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. it's a, it's, it should, every human being should understand that like, all right, we live chaotic lives, whether it's our relationships or our fucking, you know, job, you know, who we root for in sports, it's chaos left and right. And you have to find the beauty in that. I think that's why I love the beauty in this novel is he's trying to be satirical with dark humor. He said he was going to purge himself of mental clutter. And throughout the novel, he's found examining different topics, different concepts. It feels so relevant 2020. Nice, man. So my second choice um, to add to the six pack, we are gifting something that is so relatable in 2020, especially with this fucking administration that is in charge. The cult of Trump being at the helm. It's scary times, my friends. And again, if you're not into politics and if you're just I can't follow it type of person, 
You need to because the shit that is going on behind the scenes with this administration is scary. I've used this term here. Draconian. Like, we are going backwards hundreds of years. Betsy DeVos wants to resegregate our schools. She wants to fucking put rich white people out of the fucking way of the fucking brown and black people in this country. Okay, that's that's neither here nor there, but this book rings so true right now with fucking Trump at, at the helm. And it's 1984. It's not a big surprise. Big brother up in your shit. Um, George Orwell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Animal Farm. Great, Classic great, writer. great stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think some of these... these uh, Novels introduced me uh, to to Marxist thought, and uh, we're hoping a socialist Democrat might get into power. You know, yeah, hopefully. Don't let people tell you that socialism is a uh, a horrific thing. Anyways, so 1984. Here's my quote: um, Trump did a rally in our city, Brian. It was one of the worst days in Chugal history, mm-hmm. probably next to the shooter that came inspired by that motherfucker that took yeah. 22 lives. But, uh, I don't know if I just would a, compare it to that. It's second, probably to the worst thing. Jesus Christ. Wow. But this guy um, didn't even pay the city. He's still he's still waiting. But I heard Trump had like 10 million people there or something. Uh, no, he had so a lot. popular. Obviously not 10 million, but he did have a lot. And uh-huh. I can't understand these fucking dumb Mexicans that are out here supporting this guy. But either way. Yeah, he hates all of you. He still owes like 500000 on the rental of the Coliseum. Trump is racist in case anyone is wondering. But yet his uh, following is more passionate and fervent than ever. So there's so many things in the book um, that literally equate directly to uh, the Trump administration. There's well, the yeah, idea that alternative facts, that, mm-hmm. you know, the truth isn't what it is. Or just the fact that uh, an overbearing government is a really bad thing. Everything that comes out in the news that is facts, he comes out and just says it's fake news. It's not. And his his followers, his base actually believe it like they just are like it's fake news like he has so well been able to mark cnn as the fake definition news of totalitarianism is any sort of uh idea of like reporting mm-hmm. is gone to the wind for whatever his you say is wrong yeah. anyways okay so no i didn't want to stay more on the whole um the fucking mass surveillance oh well, that's been going on for a minute. Yeah, but they talk about it in that fucking book. And that book is how old? I think it was 1948 because he flipped it. 48, 84. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, right. so yeah. I wanted to keep it on the whole campaign rally tip because it's scary. And it's the way he whips his people up into a frenzy. <laughs> a frenzy that is completely and utterly based on lies. Like, this man is stealing from the government, but his followers adamantly say he has the best interest of our nation. Like, okay, anyways, here's this fucking quote. 
Um, it's at a, a rally in George Orwell's fucking horrific um, mm-hmm. imagining of some sort of post-apocalyptic world, maybe. But uh, here it goes. In its second minute, the hate rose to a frenzy. People were leaping up and down in their places and shouting at the tops of their voices in an effort to drown the maddening, bleating voice that came from the screen. The little sandy-haired woman had turned bright pink, and her mouth was opening and shutting like that of a landed fish. Even O'Brien... Heavy's face was flushed. He was sitting very straight in his chair, the powerful chest swelling and quivering as though he were standing up to the assault of a wave. The dark-haired girl behind Winston had begun crying out, Swine! 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 And suddenly she picked up a heavy newspeak dictionary and flung it at the screen. It struck Goldstein's nose and bounced off. The voice continued inexorably, In a lucid moment, Winston found that he was shouting with the others and kicking his heel violently against the running of his chair. Is that not a Trump rally? Yeah, just trying to gather everyone around as if that's going to... It's like, okay, uh, guys, don't say we want to... Don't say the, the immigrants are that bad, but they are, okay? They got some good ones. Oh, someone's laughing about shooting someone over there. I'm not going to say that's that bad, but uh, I'm just going to laugh. <laughs> it's scary, bro. Like, I have this seen reality. hella footage of Trump rallies. This is reality. And they get maddening. Remember that white man that punched those black protesters? Oh, and they arrested the black guy? Yeah. Fuck, dude. Like, how is that possible, America? That some people peacefully protesting at a Trump rally are being escorted out and some white motherfucker punches the peaceful protesters in the jaws. And as they take the black eye up, they're like, no, 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 let's arrest this cat. It's fucking, who is this, 1943? (sighs) Okay, so from 1984. The only way we're going to overturn it is with the biggest voter turnout ever. You got to vote, people. Go out there and vote. Vote for whoever ends up in the Democratic nomination. It's got to be Bernie. (sighs) Feel the burn. All right. Let's get back into the six-pack, six-pack of books here. I'm going to talk about Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. Oh, and if you don't know, also the greatest. Now you know. One of the greatest, if not the greatest, hip-hop albums. The Roots Crew, Philadelphia represent. A lot of y'all might know them as Jimmy Fallon's house band. By the way, they're a badass band without Jimmy Fallon. They don't need Jimmy Fallon. As Questlove put it, the Tonight Sh- we ain't going to the Tonight Show. The Tonight Show's coming to us. Pretty sure I just paraphrased that. I'm sorry, Questlove. I think it was about New York and having to move to L.A. or whatnot. A Questlove Supreme. I love you. Well, I think what he was saying was that the Tonight Show usually is in Cali, but they had to do it in New York because of both Fallon and the Roots crew on the East Coast. Roots crew from Philly. 
Yeah, dude. Jay Leno didn't film in. Jay Leno did not film in New York. He did it in Burbank. Yeah, Cali. So did Jimmy Carson. California. And the one season that they screwed Conan, he did it in Cali too. Ah, they did Conan dirty. Team Coco for life. I'm going to talk year about. 2000. In the year 2000. Twitter tracker, Twitter tracker, Twitter tracker. My last novel is uh, Things Fall Apart. Intense and shadow, she like that shit don't matter. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. When I get home, get at us. Oh, through letter, <laughs> phone, whatever. Oh, I love this band. That's a beautiful man. Okay, no, we're not talking about that song. The novel by uh, Fame that Nigerian. That could be that chick in that rat. Could be that cool, cool cat. That's <laughs> whisper in you, in you. She's trying to play. Okay. I remember reading this book and a lot of the times just feeling really sad because it said in a made-up village in Africa before colonization, right before colonization, and it has a a hero, anti-hero. I don't know how you want to look at it, and I'm not great on the pronunciations. Okwankwo. Oh, that's that's on point, I just remember feeling so sad throughout it when he gets the adopted son and he grows a close bond with him and he's chosen to have to uh, sacrifice him. And one of the elders comes and talks to him and tells him, you shouldn't do it because you're like a father to him and he still does it because he doesn't want to seem weak. The whole book, he's trying to be better than his dad. I remember the dad had a bunch of debts that he owed, so he's always trying to be better than him. In the end, he ends up hanging himself. Uh, I mean, Achebe has gotten a lot of flack over it, mostly for writing it in English. To me, it covers everything from class uh, structure, class divide, Obviously, race, when the British come over and take over, Okonkwo's confused. He doesn't know how to react to them. He's been exiled for so long, so he tries to go about his warrior ways and reclaim his land, and he realizes that everyone else around him isn't doing the same thing, so he's just out on an island. It's a beautiful book. I love the way it's written. Achebe throws in a glossary at the back. What do you think about it? I mean, I just think it's a, a tale of uh, complete and utter desperation mm-hmm. when uh, a, a culture encounters uh, the white man. I'm sorry, I'm not going to fucking, you know, make it sound nice and pretty. It is when so many indigenous cultures encountered the white man they encountered strife and struggle and pain and I'm sorry it's 100% accurate if it if it hurts your heart and soul that I'm saying this then you need to readjust your understanding of history but um it's also about how you react when family strife 
you know, comes into effect. I think a lot of times Onkongu doesn't have the, you know, wherewithal to, like, emotionalize what he's feeling. and Yeah, he's trying to be a little bit too strong. Yeah, and I think that's a, a huge thing that so many, you know, men's culture or, you know, male culture tries to do. No, like, it's not about being the super tough man that can save the village. It's about, like, you know, expressing your feelings and trying to figure out the best way forward for or, you and your family and everybody. I think with this, this yeah, that, that's just a great point to bring up because he, sometimes it's okay to ask for help. And in this book, there's so many difficult situations and... He 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 he's proud. He's I, I know this is gonna work out. After he uh, I forgot. I think he just kills the the boy with a blow to the head. But after that, he's riddled with guilt for weeks because he knows that wasn't the right thing. Let me go ahead and share a quote here. Ooh. Once uh, Akwanko comes back and notices that things are much different in his village after the white man has taken over, he wonders, the white man is very clever. He came quietly and peaceably with his religion. We were amused at his foolishness and allowed him to stay. Now he has won our brothers, and our clan can no longer act like one. He has put a knife on the things that had held us together, and we have fallen apart. When things fall apart. Highly recommend it here. It's one of the few ones that we both have read. So hopefully some of your genius heads can check it out. He does have a uh, sequel to it. Did you know that? Yeah. Never checked it out, have you? No, no. Um, something like Arrow Through the Sun? Something like that? No idea. That's my favorite selection by you, by the way. <laughs> um, if I felt that my selections were um, off a high school syllabus, well, guess what? This next selection will set it in stone we're talking about to uh, kill a mockingbird ouch harper the harper lee. lee classic sophomore year mr russell shouts what's the name of the little girl scout scout little scout <laughs> and bojangles or bobet <sighs> dick um atticus finch the oh, fucking chingon the, the bo ridley <laughs> Bojangles. <laughs> so, yeah. Have you seen the movie? Oh, have I? No, so the reason why I bring up this one is... Because that movie is one of your favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's good. No, but I will say this. The play. I saw the play, my guy. And the you wanted play. Atticus Finch to be in it? Because you love that movie so much? Well, no, I saw the play. And I'm just saying I was moved by it as a child. Like as a, I think I was in... Like seventh. I'm sorry, grade. but I can think of a lot of harder hitting books than To Kill a Mockingbird. Then why did they ban it, Brian Sanchez? Just because they used the word 
And I, mm. gee, we're going to stop it there. We don't I don't have the right to would. say it, but yeah. Because yeah, they why. use that? No, that's, that's not why. That's the only reason why. No, it's if because it, wasn't in there, it, it exposes be in there. the truth of the Southern way, which is pure racism and pure fucking, uh, we are not going to let people of color have any sort of real freedom. Come on, that's why. I honestly feel and that if they didn't have that And of course it took a white savior to... be about how this girl developed a relationship with this man who they didn't understand back then, but they had a friendly relationship and that's Well, it. yeah. That might be an allegory to the races. That we need to, like, get friendly with them and not come with hate. Like little, little scout. Well, guess what? Atticus, her father, is the lawyer that is, like, actually walking the walk Mm -hmm. as an adult and defending uh, a a poor, uh, wrongly accused accused black man of rape. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So this book left me with the, the understanding that the United States of America was built on racism, continues to have racism, and I love this place. It's the only place I've known, but we need to continually fight against that racism. So we need to acknowledge it. We and have we, to. And we need to do, make reparations. Guys, guys, this is not a stretch for me to say that America has to acknowledge it because Canada has come out and said, you know what? We fucked the Indians and the Inuit people. We fucked them up. We fucked them over. And we are sorry about it. And we are like about reconciliation. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. you know what we get in America? We get in America um, Confederate flags being flown on state capitol grounds. We have Confederate monuments in and around southern cities. No, that's not how you reconcile racism in America. Ugh. It's so ass exasperated talking about. I'm not this gonna shit. lie. It's it's a good book. It's it's solid. Yeah. It's just kind of overdrawn a little bit oh, but i'm interested it's, to it's, see what a quote you uh have from this book okay so okay so you here know, we go i mean it's to kill a mockingbird even a good book it's a great fucking book <laughs> uh, when you really get down to geniuses it, do we let really it be knowing where re-read it? brian sits on the debate if you guys want to hit me up on harper lee's contribution to uh literature <laughs> hit me up but uh, let's get back at it. Is it really even a good book? Listen, whether or not it's a good or great book, which I will admit, you can argue that. I'm but confused. what I'm saying is it opened my fucking eyes at 15 years old, 16 year old, not from a parent or a friend or a movie, from a novel saying that like, holy shit. The system is stacked against people of color in this country. So shut the fuck up, Brian. Listen to my quote. Here it comes. This is in the courtroom where um, Atticus Finch Gregory is. Peck. Oh, yeah, I mean Atticus Finch. Yeah, see? It's because Brian has a hard on for Gregory Peck. Wait, you like the movie or the book better? Quick. Um, The book. The, he was. He wanted to say the movie. <laughs> see how he hesitated. <laughs> 
<laughs> so this is in the courtroom. Uh, Before you get into uh, that, Atticus then is, at that point we can say, f- is the... <laughs> Atticus defending um, Mr. Tom Robinson, the uh, wrongly accused man. Um, and it's intense. Should be on like Law and Order. It really, they should make a Law and Order um, to kill a mockingbird. Okay, here he goes. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, Tom Robinson is innocent of this crime. I'm going to prove that beyond any reasonable doubt. But you are going to find him guilty anyway. You know why? Foreman speaks. Why? Because he's black and you're white. What? Says the foreman. And because justice is bullshit. Do you think we have a justice system here in the state of Alabama? There are people alive today who the census used to call two-thirds of a person. Were those people missing their legs? No, they were black and they were whole people. Where's the justice when black families can't eat? The same restaurants as white families. When black kids have to attend their own schools, live in their own neighborhoods, or crap in their own public toilets, you think that's justice? Intense. I mean, he shreds this uh, courtroom of white people. He shreds them up and says, y'all are a bunch of fucking racists. And they don't even care. Well, to them, it's natural law. And that's why people, white people in the South, want to continue having the Confederate flag fly and have their Confederate monuments because they think it's just natural law that they have a right to show their white supremacy. Which comes at the cost of black and brown lives and Indian lives. So that's what I took from that book. That this country, unfortunately, is uh, a little racist. And that's an understatement, of course. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. That is uh, our six-pack. That concludes our six-pack. Of novels. novels. You guys read these books and let us know what your favorite are. Rank them one through six and let us know. Hit us up. Or fight us on some of our thoughts on these books. Or tell us that all these books are crap and you hate us. That's fine, yeah, too. Like, uh, but Nick's books definitely are on my uh, freshman's high school reading list. So, yeah, uh, I, mean, I can be involved in, in Talk critique. to us. <laughs> hit us up. Listen to us. Uh, we got a blog. MidnightGeniusHour.blogspot.com Nick, you got anything on there yet? <laughs> soon, fam. Soon. Uh, whoever's listening to us out there, it's a couple of weeks. Nick, when are you going to get on there? Okay, I'm going to make it my MGH um, scout uh, promise, okay? Please don't write about that book. <laughs> <laughs> what book? It's a scout. It's a scout on it. Like, I cross my heart and hope to die type shit. Fuck TKMB. What's TKMB? Oh, TKMB. <laughs> Um, fucking, what a hater, bro. No one even fucking knows what books you're talking about. They're, they sounded depressing. <laughs> Let's get into some music. We know that's why you're all really out there. Nobody reads books anymore. It's definitely not Trump. Let's make America great again.
Let's get into some heady shit. We're going to talk about six um, albums, and we're going to give you our track from that album that was instrumental in forming us as little uh, little music lovers. Mm-hmm. I think the rubric was before mm-hmm. 25. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometime before the age of 25, we're old farts now. We know that, but I'm going to ask Nick to cue us up. But Pop like we mentioned three, before, two, one. if anyone out there is drinking with us, Cheers. Join us. Cheers. that before nick no of course i don't think about that i remember hearing that freshly a freshman mm. just barely starting off my high school years still feel like high school's best years of our life what do you think you know you disagree I, I thought it the was hesitation. No, hold on. Yeah, no, I, I did all the mgh has no no when you hesitate that's <laughs> gotta be against no that. i because i'll be honest there was a while where i was like that's so corny to say high school is the best years of life like so much is and yeah like life was but, so easy back then but it was so easy i don't have to worry about anything but going to school everything just being in a marching band <laughs> yeah that you didn't have a job you didn't have bills like that's what I'm envious Unless of. I wanted to. <laughs> Unless you took up. Unless but, you lived in the Northeast and major parents get you a driver's license and drive. then. But even then, it was easy. That's easy. So easy. But also, like, shit was so new. Everything, all new Everything experiences. was new. You could do whatever the oh, fuck girls, you wanted. All that. That's why you wanted to have a car so Ooh. you could just ride around. Ladies. Make the Bel Air area her stomping ground but i remember listening to this on headphones in on this old 
computer PC that we had and those first few cores of music and then Tom York's voice Tom York singing in my ears that was the best album of that year came out in 2000 might be the best album of that decade it was only a few years after they had made OK Computer and that album just still resonates with me and it's just one of those memories you have you know you have those albums that you hear for the first time and you remember where you were when you heard it for the first time and what you were doing I was just a punk kid in the middle of the day shorts and a t-shirt listening to that on headphones full blast well, I like to picture you that's 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 really what life is about just those simple moments oh yeah Let's uh, check out one of your choices. All right, man. So for my first contribution to the musical six-pack, we prepared for you, Genius Heads. Um, it's it's going to be autobiographical, man. It's, it's where I remember spending money for the first time on, and I'm showing my age here, but on a tape. I was not buying CDs at first, let me tell you. It was cassette tapes. So I spent wow. maybe like a whole whopping $8 at the Las Cruces Mall Sam Goody hmm. when I was about eight years old. Came out in 1992, I believe. Damn. Um, at Young. the time, I was really into the blues. I mean, my mom definitely has a huge influence, and her mom, my grandmother, have a huge influence on, on my musical. Uh, taste and palate but I'm not even sure how I really remember getting into the blues but um, at the time MTV was the rage and MTV had an unplugged series which was like this acoustic thing mm-hmm. and Eric Clapton who was obviously an artist way before my time in a way finally decided to jump on that unplugged series and that's how I think I got exposed to it at 8 years old and uh, went out to buy the tape, and man, it's funny. It took a white man from England to really kind of give me a love for the blues. But however it came, I, I soon realized that there was a, a many blues great out there. But gotta give a shout out to Eric Clapton. So I'm gonna play Layla. Got me. Um, I was just showing that Eric Clapton sang this one. Thank you. 
into that shit what you got next Brian yeah it's a really good choice we're really on a English spirit here got Radiohead we got Clapton and now I'm gonna roll with Pink Floyd oof which uh, also touches on the 1984 theme earlier with their album Animals and their uh, album cover Animals, The Wall. I mean, so one of the biggest albums that really shaped my life was uh, Dark Side of the Moon. Ooh, an iconic um, album cover for sure, too. (laughs) Growing up, one of the biggest traditions was always having a cookout on the weekend doesn't matter whether it was winter, summer, and somehow, some way. I'm sure we didn't grill out 52 weeks out of the year, but <laughs> almost, almost, my dad tried. Oh, and bless his soul. His biggest passion was uh, playing some badass music along with it. I remember hearing the police, Talking Heads, Springsteen. You too. That's just off the top of my head right now. Hey, it's not a fucking real Mexican cookout without the fucking music, bro. Talking about Mexican heroes mixing Los Bukis, Los Tigres del Norte, some Mana, some Selena, mixing some good stuff. But Dark Side of the Moon, it was an album that... I just remember he treated it as an album. He would play it front from back. the front to the end, and he wouldn't skip any track. I don't remember hearing any track sporadically just when he was jamming out. He, for the most part, would play the entire album, and he would try to do that album justice to all of his music, but I just remember that album stuck with me. Late nights after the barbecue is already over, everyone's chilling. My dad's been drinking. He's already had a few, feeling buzzed, a little more than buzzed, relaxing. And he's blasting Dark Side of the Moon, just jamming out to it in a peaceful, relaxing vibe. If you love music, you know exactly what I mean.
and after all were only ordinary men. That's beautiful, man. I mean, I know it's definitely not my choice, but uh, it's up there in my favoritest albums of all motherfucking time. And side note to uh, Midnight Genius Hour, uh, your boy Nick here definitely believes that they recorded this fucking album to sync with The Wizard of Oz. I mean, that's a whole nother episode. But it's a whole nother episode. I love that it has two sax solos, one in the beginning, one that's going to rip off right here. And it's a That's crazy. Longest, uh, longest track on the album. It just fits so perfectly. What you got next, Nick? Alright, man. So, the uh, second album. Um, I am actually going to be buying a CD this time. Because I'm a little older. And I go to the Best Buy off I-10. Before it was moved to Viscount. It's currently like a Del Sol Hospital Distribution Center or something. But uh, I remember going to that... um, Best Buy, and I buy this album because I'm not gonna lie, kids. Again, MTV has influenced me a lot here, and uh, this band was popping off hard on uh, MTV. But uh, they're not complete losers, they have a ska background, and they are a talented wild bunch. From Orange County. Who am I talking about, Brian? Wu Tang. <laughs> I fucking hate you. We're talking about, no doubt, Miss Gwen Stefani. She was sexy back then. I don't know about now. She got a nose job. It's weird. Um, but this album just gave me like a lot of, hey. This party, like energy. This this mm. this fucking album really brought those like the good energy, vibes good flowing. vibes. It was a feel good album for sure. Mm-hmm. And this anthem is a girl joint. It's for the ladies. It's and for you know everybody. what? It's for everybody, right? It's for everybody. Yeah. But it's for the ladies specifically. It's oh. I mean it's it's literally in the title. Um oh. and I think after her and then Beyonce, you know, that girl power vibe with Destiny's Child. Mm-hmm. I mean, this music can literally be, um, you know, responsible in part for me being a feminist. Okay, listen, women need their rights, not because I have a daughter, but because women are human beings. And I'm just a girl. So let's jam out. No doubt.
That shit hits hits hard to this day. I'm sure that influenced a lot of people too. Everyone from Amy Winehouse, MIA. MIA. Good choice. Ever hear this podcast? Uh If for some reason want to come on, you're a welcome open invitation. Hit us up. Alright, man. So, no doubt went on to have a crazy career. Didn't follow them as much as I did when their debut album hit, but, you know, good to them. They definitely shaped a little bit about who I was back then. What you got next, Brian? Add to the six pack. My final choice here. Weird how all these are fitting just like a puzzle. And I got something by the Beatles here. It features, though not directly credited for it, does feature Eric Clapton. This is a George Harrison's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Ooh. came out and said it was the White Album. And it came out and said it was the White Power Album. Comes in the heart of the album. George Harrison's track. He definitely was feeling the tension that all the Beatles were going through. The album itself is more than 20 tracks. Two discs. I just remember buying it not buying it but i'm pretty sure i forced my dad to get it for me or maybe i got it as a gift but i used to go to that best buy too and just hunt for cds and when i first started really loving into music this is probably sometime after kid a and i looked up all of radiohead's influences which included pink floyd and the beatles i found the white album where the Beatles were the most experimental, most creative, 
all the tracks sound different. I heard stories. You can read different stories about them recording in different studios, different musicians at a time of conflict. And the Beatles recorded 11, 12 albums in the span of seven years, and then they disbanded. Some of them had very successful careers. Shout out to George Harrison, All Things Must Pass. Love that album. But still, this album is great. Yeah, definitely. The White Album. That's all I got. You got one more, right? One more. So to close out the six-pack and to close out the episode, I think we're going to... You know, ended here, but uh, 1997. Yeah, George Harrison, rest in peace, brother. <laughs> for sure. But uh, yeah, no, 1997 for myself. Uh, a seminal record in my life when it comes to hip hop music. Um, a, a crew out of Staten Island, motherfucking Wu Tang Clan, ain't nothing to fuck with. Yeah. This is the funny thing. Um, 1995, I get the um, No Doubt CD. But in 1997, for some reason, I cop the double cassette of Wu-Tang Clan album Wu-Tang Forever. So I don't know how that works out. Major fine. It was a, it was a strange time back then. But... Uh, I had the double yeah, cassette. Yeah, no, music, music was a lot easier to come by back then. Uh, no, you're fucking insane. Way, music is way easier to come by now. I have every song uh, at the fingertips. Oh, okay, now. I said that wrong. Music, uh, you, you could find deals on mus- uh, actual Hard copy tangible stuff. music yeah, that's <laughs> back what then. I remember going to the FYE on the west side and used to be able to get three UCDs. <sighs> For like twenty bucks, yeah. And back then, that was a badass deal. People our age, and of course, people younger at this point, with all this streaming, the idea of buying music as a hard, tangible entity is archaic, my guy. So why would you even get that? Yeah, it's yeah. just like I can stream it, foe. So, anyways, Double Cassette, 1997, rap music. I mean, it's obviously not the first rap record, but for me, it was the one that was like, whoa, shook me. Yeah, that's uh, what I mean. Wu-Tang, it was a good deal. It was a good deal. Wu-Tang Forever. Um, triumph, man. I mean, that shit hits so hard. Let's hear it. And I think we want to say goodbye to Genius Heads. Take it easy, y'all, there. Hit us up on the blog. See you next week. We out. We out. Let's do it like this. I'm going to rub your ass in the moonshine. Let's take it back to 79. I'm going atomically. Socrates, philosophies, and hypotheses. Can't define how I be dropping these mockeries. Lyrically perform on robbery. Flee with the lottery. Possibly they spotted me. Battles guard, showgun. Explosion when my pen hits. Tremendous. Ultraviolet, shine blind forensics. I inspect you through the future. Millennium, killer bees so fit
Like Shinobi. 